Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell, and I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, Michael Kaufman, who's chairman of the National Restaurant Association Board of Directors and co-president of Innovo Restaurant Ventures, LLC. Um, Michael has had a long history in the restaurant business, um, started out in law, graduated from Harvard College and has a law degree from Harvard Law School, and was practicing law and got involved in the restaurant industry. And now he's worked in that industry for a number of years, including uh, being owner of some uh, of r restaurants in the, the Washington, D.C. area. Um, Michael is a proven leader in the restaurant industry with a track record of building sales and profits in multi-unit restaurant operations. Um, Michael had previously established Pond Hill Ventures to evaluate, advise, and invest in hospitality ventures. Prior to forming Pond Hill Ventures, he was president of Dallas-based Metro Media Restaurant Group, which operates the Bennigan Steak and Ale, Bonanza, and Ponderosa brands. Before that, he was president of Ponderosa and Bonanza and did several other things in the industry. Uh, his work in the industry is highly acclaimed. Uh, he's a member of the Board of Trustees of the National Restaurant Association Education Foundation, the Culinary Institute of America, and the Chappaqua School Foundation. And I know he talks also uh, about his role as a parent. Uh, his awards include the Na Nation's Restaurant News 2001 Golden Chain Award and Ambassador of the Culinary Institute of America. So, Michael, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Kelly. Great to be here. It's a real pleasure for us to have people from the food industry and the restaurant industry come and talk to us because it's a perspective that's important for us to hear and it's an important voice in the overall um, picture of what Americans are eating. So could we start by painting some picture of just how big the restaurant industry is how many people it employs, the size of the the economic impact of it. It's really quite impressive when you hear the numbers. Sure, that'd be great, Kelly. Thank you, uh, thank you for uh, having me here, and uh, be happy to do that. Um, you know, the industry is just part of the fabric of America. Uh, we employ about 13 million Americans, um, and uh, and have an annual sales number of about 558 billion dollars. Uh, if you think about economic impact uh, beyond the actual sales of the uh, industry, um, it is a, uh, over a, about a $1.5 trillion impact, which if you ranked it as you might rank the GDP of countries of the world, would put it at about the 17th largest in the world. Um, you know, the restaurant industry is widely distributed. Uh, there are some big players and there are many, many small players. Uh, but if you added up the revenue of the industry, uh, it is, uh, it exceeds the uh, revenues of the U.S. agricultural in industry, U.S. airline industry, and the motion picture industry combined. So very, a very large industry. But we are largely individually owned, uh, whether it's a large brand or an individual uh, owner of a, perhaps a diner somewhere in America. Um, a lot of uh, our industry is owned uh, by individuals who have one or maybe two uh, uh, restaurants or locations, whether they're doing that under their own name or as a franchisee of a different brand. Um, we are a, uh, an embodiment, I think, of the American dream of an entrepreneur saying, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to open up an establishment and, uh, and uh, serve the people of my community and employ some people uh, uh, in my restaurant. So the industry is affecting many, many people in so many ways, not only the people who eat there, but the people employed by the industry. And 
the people who were creating the food that goes to the restaurants and just a great number of people involved. So there's a great, a tremendous opportunity to uh, help the health and nutrition of the country. Now, one, one common misperception, and you corrected this when you just spoke at the Rudd Center, is that the, the restaurant industry would be a high profit margin business because you get the sense of people going to a restaurant and paying a lot of money for s- some luxury meals in some cases. But you say that's not the case. No, it's not. Um, and, uh, you know, it's uh, the restaurant industry, on average, um, about uh, uh, four cents out of every dollar is what makes it to the bottom line on a pre-tax basis, uh, and uh, that's kind of at an EBITDA basis, so that's before a restaurateur might have to repay debt or interest on debt, um, as well as then looking at whatever profitability is there. So four cents out of every, out of every dollar. You know, when you ask people um, just without setting it up in the context of what do you think the answer is, because then the answer, they know they're you're searching for a low number, but if you just went to an average uh, person on the street and said, out of 100 pennies coming in the front door of a restaurant, what do you think is there at the end? Most people assume that there is uh, a, uh, a larger number than four cents uh, there at the end. Um, so it's, um, it's a very tight business model, and, uh, and running that in a, uh, in a sustainably productive way is the challenge of a restaurateur. And one point that you made also is that given the low profit margin, um, that, that things that affect the bottom line that come in from the outside, government regulations or legislation, let's say, um, has to be taken very seriously. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's uh, the mindset of an entrepreneur, I think, is somebody who is a risk taker. And a risk taker wants to um, drive their own future. And if to drive their own future, they say, well, let's start with a proposition of what our concept's going to be or what we might franchise and we'll plan out what labor we have and need and what we're going to pay for food and how much we're going to spend on lighting and they kind of work it all out and say this is this is what I'll have at the end of the day and this is what I'm going to use to pay for my kids college education or my retirement um, and uh, but in in a very tightly uh, run business um, you know the idea that there will be uh, external factors that will come in and, and change that equation in an unpredictable way is something that an entrepreneur looks at and says, well, you know, why, why would I want this? Um, so it's a, um, you know, I think at times the industry uh, may be perceived as resisting things uh, just for the sake of resisting. But, um, you know, when you come down to employing as many people as we employ um, and, uh, and really having that impact within our community, um, the prospect of adding any cost of doing business um, is concerning. Not to say that at times it's not the right thing to do, perhaps, but it's concerning, certainly. Well, it's a very interesting perspective. Maybe we could talk for a few minutes about the a hot issue of the day, and that's menu labeling. So you could see from the perspective that you just provided us that um, hearing, hearing the government may require us, not us, but require restaurants to change their, their menus, in a way that may incur costs. Uh, and then you look down the road and you say, well, today they want calories, but tomorrow it's going to be this nutrient or that nutrient. And so this could be a cost I'll have to incur over and over and over again. 
Uh, you could see restaurants resisting that just in principle because of the entrepreneurial let's control our own destiny attitude. I think that's uh, I think that's true, Kelly. I think that you know it's you know resisting it um, is a slightly charged word. I, I think that um, oh, question or you right. know, wonder about its impact. I right, guess. exactly. And and uh, you know I think there are a number of factors there. I mean, uh, you know, first. Um, there is the sense of, well, will this have an impact? I mean, well, you know, we could go and do X, but if at the end of the day we go and do X and perhaps spend money to do X and at the end, you know, we then look at its uh, impact on uh, on the health of Americans um, uh, and, it, and it turns out, I'm just hypothesizing, and it turns out they have no impact, well, we've just wasted a lot of time, money, et cetera. So there's one concern there. The second is, okay, I can do this, but, you know, what are the rules of, en- of engagement here? Um, how do I do it? And if I do it in one way in one place and another place says do it differently here, what does that look like? Um, and, uh, and, you know, third uh, is the question of how do you do that in the context of running an operation, not only the cost perhaps of changes to a menu board, but you know, in many restaurants that, for example, use menu boards, um, a critical element of their economic equation is how many people get through there within a certain period of time. If people perceive that there's a line out the door because people are you know, uh, studying uh, and reading things and, and it becomes an inefficient process, you have potentially lost a significant amount of sales. So there are a lot of factors here. And, uh, and so as menu labeling has in the very recent times you know, accelerated in its uh, proposals and consideration, um, you know, an industry of entrepreneurs is saying, okay, how do we think about this? I'll go on to say that uh, for the, really, I think the first time in its history, um, our association representing the industry as a whole has uh, proposed a national mandate. We don't like mandates, so for us to affirmatively propose one um, uh, is uh, pretty remarkable. And we proposed in conjunction with uh, some members of the Senate and also some legislation that would actually provide a standard across the country for nutritional disclosure. Um, It's different from some of the ones that some organizations have thought is the right way to go. but uh, its differences are, to some extent, it's more comprehensive. It's more than calories. Its difference is that it's not putting uh, calories on the principal menu board, but it is saying, if it's a menu board concept, that it has to be right there when you order, and it has to be of the same sort as the menu board and, and very visible. If you are a, con- a restaurant that has not a menu board but a menu, it has to be on the menu, attached to the menu, s- uh, supplemented at the time you get the menu with that uh, in, a, in a very leg- uh, uh, legible way. So, um, so our thought here is to say, let's do it in a way that we feel we can do. This would apply for restaurants that have 20 or more locations. And, let, and let's do it in a way that we think will provide the same nutritional information that people are used to seeing in the supermarket. And, um, and you know, let's, let's do it in a way that we think uh, once there's a standard across the country, that's the standard that should be there. Everyone should comply with that as they have with packaged goods. And, uh, and we would suggest that localities not be allowed then to say, well, let's not do it that way, let's do it some other way, because that would increase that cost of doing business. Okay. I'd be curious about your response to how some critics of the, the legislation sure. proposed by the industry might characterize it. And the, some of the critics may say that the only conditions under which an organization like the National Restaurant Association w- would want some national standard is their fear that some other 
piece of legislation would come in that's a worse standard for them. And so what they want to do is lock in some weak standard that preempts other things going on. How would you respond to that? Well, in several ways. <laughs> Number one, I don't think it's a weak standard. I think it's providing uh, more comprehensive disclosure than many of the proposals that have been uh, put forward. Number two, um, it's, uh, so I think that's very important. And I think that's underplayed in some of the commentary around this. I think number two, um, it, you know, it, it, for the reasons we discussed a minute ago, um, if, if, uh, if we are going to be serious about how to do this, let's, let's agree on a standard of disclosure and, and let's use that nationally. Um, you know, packaged goods, it's not the case to my knowledge um, that, uh, you know, one town can say that, well, what we would like for our packaged goods for cereals is this disclosure, and then the next town says, sorry, that, that our citizens kind of look at it differently. We want a different way. There's a uniform national standard. And so to the extent that we're saying that uh, restaurants that have more scale, 20 or more locations, um, let's agree on a standard and, and let's use that standard. And weaker, stronger, I mean, I think that, that I understand some people you know, will uh, believe we're trying to hide. I frankly think we're trying to be forthcoming, but we're trying to do it in a way that we think um, is helpful to the restaurateur and helpful to the consumer. Well, one thing it sounds like you're saying is that as, the, as folks come up with different ideas for menu labeling, pay attention to the real world issues that face us as restaurant owners. And so, for example, the, the issue, so the, the critics of the restaurant position would say that um, writing legislation that requires preemption just keeps towns and cities and states from doing something tougher than the national standard might be. And you say, well, of course there has to be preemption. Otherwise, how can we do business? Because you can't have a standard in you know, one town and then the same franchise owner who owns a McDonald's in the next town has a different set of standards. Right. So I think that's a very useful point of view to, to understand the, the realities of running a restaurant and how that business works and thinking through how standards might be created. The only question I have is, a, is how, how trade associations work. So if you take a trade association like the American Beverage Association, so they have a certain number of companies that, that are all around the table and they have to come up with a consensus in their statements to the public, but it's a very small number of players compared to what the restaurant industry does. How in the world, with so many players doing so many things in the restaurant world, could, could an association come up with any consensus at all? That is a great question, and uh, and you know I think it's a challenge for an industry that has as entrepreneurially minded, um, as independently minded, and as widely dispersed a group of uh, members as we do. Um, and so we, um, you know, we have a large board. We have uh, uh, almost ninety members of the board. They are from every state. I think we're missing one from South Dakota. Um, and, uh, and we have uh, chains represented, we have uh, franchisees represented, and, and so uh, we also have very close relationships with uh, 51 state associations that are in individual states in the District of Columbia. And our goal, our, our focus is to uh, try and through 
these different bodies and through the representativeness of members of our board uh, get some sense of what this industry um, is about. Um, but, you know, Kelly, like in any endeavor, um, you know, there we have members, and I'm sure there are some who, who disagree with the positions that we've taken on nutritional disclosure. Um, but we also have to be thoughtful about leadership, and we also have to be thoughtful about where, um, you know, as a national association, where we feel as we kind of look to the future, we think uh, what's right for America and how we can help uh, create that as a, as a future for our industry and for America. Our industry is so large, and it's so much part of the web of America that what's good for, you know, it used to be General Motors, and I guess that one may not be as applicable these days, but, but what is the essence of what's, uh, what America needs and what our industry needs are, are absolutely uh, in parallel. So our hope is that we can, uh, we can um, as an association, on the one hand, reflect the views, at the same time, provide leadership. And, uh, and that's our goal. So speaking of the, the way the association comes up with priorities, you mentioned that some strategic planning had gone on recently. Yes. And that issues related to health and wellness and nutrition were part of the overall platform of the association. Would you mind explaining that? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, you, you know, we have uh, just recently completed and approved uh, as a national association a five-year plan that really uh, examines what we need to do as an association and as an industry um, to better serve the interests of our industry and America. Um, and so, as our as our vision overall, you know, we are we are focused on how we can improve the lives of those we serve, and we created uh, or adopted four core industry imperatives that say these are the things that we think this industry uh, needs to continue to uh, lead on, improve on, master continuous improvement within. Uh, those four imperatives are food and healthy living, um, sustainability, uh, entrepreneurship and profitability, and, uh, and jobs and careers. And, uh, and what we're doing as an association and even our governance around that association is to say those are the four things that we will judge ourselves by, that we will judge our industry by, or, you know, as we, as we measure our progress along the way, and, uh, and what we will do to achieve uh, success, we think, for the industry overall. Food and healthy living is, uh, is, is one of those four, and food and healthy living says that we want to be proactive in understanding what we as an industry need to do to help uh, improve the health of all Americans. So we've talked a good bit about the health and wellness part of the work of the Restaurant Association, but you also mentioned sustainability mm -hmm. and resource stewardship. Could you explain what that's about? Sure. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, the, um, you know, it's no secret that the, our global environment has uh, uh, some threats, and, uh, and we as an industry, I mean, we have a, a million, almost a million locations. I mean, we certainly are significant players just in terms of our distribution across America. And so uh, one of the four imperatives uh, challenges us to understand what we can do to help marshal resources, help conserve resources, and take a more proactive stance there as well. Um, one of the early steps that we've taken is established a specific uh, web portion of our website, um, which uh, looks to help our operators begin to uh, help themselves in the area of conservation. And as we look at mapping out our future uh, plans, 
um, you know, what products might we uh, uh, help develop or uh, uh, ensure that our operators are aware of? Um, what potentially, what certifications or other things might we do uh, that would advance the cause of education and progress in the area of sustainability for, for restaurant operators? Uh, and so providing resources and providing help there is, uh, is, is a key future imperative. So how do you, it, what happens where in places where nutrition imperatives and conservation and sustainability imperatives might come in conflict? So for example, some people who pay a lot of attention to the environment say that the single most important things you can do as an individual to help protect the environment, and number one is to drive less, and number two is to eat less meat. So if that's the case, if helping the environment means eating less meat, could you ever see a time where where the, the industry could say, well, we really need to, in order to can help protect the environment with, that we all live in, we need to try to steer nutrition choices in some directions. And how, how do those two things kind of play out against one another? <laughs> well, that's probably above my pay grade, mm -hmm. I think, too, because uh, we're looking well down uh, the path here. Um, you know, the restaurant industry is, is um, a, a consumer-driven industry. And so to the extent that down the road we say that um, if the public decides that, uh, you know, that um, it will place a premium on uh, one component of a series of scarce resources or uh, um, uh, influencers in the way that people make uh, their decisions, uh, you know, the consumer will tell us and say, you know what, uh, we prefer to do X rather than Y. I think as an industry, um, our, our goal here is to help uh, promote and have our operators understand what, what they could do to, to conserve resources and what sustainability is, is about there. And at the same time, we want to help the health of Americans. To, and, you know, as we discussed in our meeting earlier, and, and I think, uh, you know, is clear, the fabric of what happens in the area, let's say, of obesity and the fabric of what happens in the area of global warming and environmental, uh, um, environmental impact are, are hugely complex, mm -hmm. um, and and you know any action or reaction or inaction um, has consequences. Uh, and adding all those up and understanding how they play off against each other, I think, uh, um, is just a, you know an enormously complex uh, challenge. Um, so, well, point point well taken. Let me um, let's talk about a, a different role that you serve in as well. It's not only being the the uh, chairman of the national. Restaurant Association Board of Directors, but being an owner of restaurants. Now, you um, mentioned that, or I mentioned in my introduction, that you're owner of a series of restaurants in the Washington, D.C. area called Harry's Taproom. Mm -hmm. Would you mind explaining what that particular restaurant is like for sure. the people who may not have visited there and how this issue of um, people's choices about healthy eating things has weighed into your ideas about how to structure the restaurant. Sure, thank you. Well, first, I'm not the only owner. I've got uh, 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 both a corporate business partner as well as a personal partner. Uh, uh, a fellow named Michael Sternberg and I were the founders of this, and we have done a great, uh, I think, a great job in sort of coming up with what we hope to be uh, uh, something that can grow very strongly. And we're affiliated with a joint venture with a company uh, called Centerplate uh, that has uh, been our partner now in helping us expand. The concept is um, a contemporary American uh, cuisine um, aimed at kind of the middle market in terms of price point, uh, using organic and natural ingredients, uh, presenting food very simply and very uh, 
uh, cooking it very, very simply. Uh, and uh, where we can seasonally buying from local farms uh, in, the, uh, in the Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia marketplace. Um, and so, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a, uh, we have now four locations, and uh, it's been a, a great uh, effort to, uh, to try and, and provide to people uh, an option that says if you are concerned about the sourcing of your ingredients, uh, we have a place where, uh, uh, you know, where you can understand more about that and, uh, and, and learn more about that. Um, you know, although I, I have to say, you know, are, are people eating healthily? Well, you know, we're, uh, uh, you know, I love our desserts and, you know, our, 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 uh, our desserts are great. And, and, uh, and so if you, you know, if you're thinking about what healthy eating is, I think that's part of the dilemma, frankly, for the industry and for our society is, uh, you know, we all love, uh, we all love to, uh, to eat and to eat well, and we all love treats. And, and, uh, and so, you know, what healthy might mean to one person and to another, I think is different, is expressed differently. Um, what we think is just that we um, are clear about the sourcing of our product and we let our guests make their decisions about uh, what they uh, wish to eat. It's a very appealing concept. The pe- some of the people who have been working on food and sustainability have long been calling for the public to get more interested in the story of the food, where it comes from, how far it was shipped, how it was grown, etc. And uh, what you're talking about is providing that story to people so they can choose what they eat, of course, once they get in there. And they can eat a little or a lot. That's all up to them. But at least they know the story. And um, so you're banking on the fact that that more and more people are interested in the story. We are. But, you know, I would say that we are uh, not an inexpensive restaurant to go to. Uh, We're not fine dining. um, But we're, we're kind of in that middle in that middle tier. Um, and, uh, you know, we're banking on the idea that people, um, are interested in a certain, certain criteria about the ingredients that a restaurant uses. Good. Well, good luck. I can't wait to try it myself at some point. Come visit. Um, so let's end with the following thing. You talked about the desirability of various constituents and stakeholders working together. Sure. So open discussion, interaction, collaboration, even between the public health world, the medical community, industry, government, and things like that. Uh, am I capturing your sentiments right on that? And how yeah. would you see that playing out? Well, you know, it's, we're faced with an enormous challenge. And this challenge did not, you know, come about yesterday. This challenge came about um, over a long period of time. And we have great business enterprises uh, on a large scale and, 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 and on a small scale in every community in America. Um, that uh, as a restaurant industry um, that uh, is doing what it uh, has done well. Um, We, you know, we have about one out of every four meal occasions or food away from home. Um, uh, You know, there's a whole series of um, other players in the marketplace that, uh, you know, that help supply the other three out of four uh, eating occasions. Um, The issues of of nutrition are ones that have, you know, that have seen different kinds of guidance over the last number of years. Not to say that that's not a natural thing. It is. Uh, this is a, I think, a relatively young science. But you know, we had one USDA pyramid, and then it was replaced with a second that's quite different. And there's probably another that needs to be created. Uh, we had, uh, you know, focus on saturated fats and 
And trans fats were created to help solve that, as well as a couple other issues, and then we realized the harmful effects of trans fats. Um, and, and there are a whole series of examples of where all of this plays out over time. So as an industry, as we think about how, what can we do, um, you know, we hope for reasonably concrete guidance as to what is a true thing you can say. That's, a, that's something that we, we really need to, uh, to take into account. And, and we think that we need to have many players at the table because it's not just about restaurants. It's, about, it's really about um, our education in our schools. It's about our medical education. Um, you know, uh, we talked earlier about the fact that a number of major medical schools, leading medical schools, medical schools overall, uh, do not have a core course on nutrition that they, uh, that they provide to uh, their young educa- education of doctors. Well, if our medical schools don't think that that's a priority, then how is it that society says, well, that may be true, but, you know, we're going to hold accountable, uh, you know, whether it's restaurants or packaged goods or groceries or whatever. All of us, I think, Kelly, need to say this is really complicated. Let's not try to come up with one solution here or another solution there. Let's recognize the complexity of this. Let's set some overall goals, and then let's together figure out how can we, how can we uh, uh, thoughtfully and swiftly work through this. Some may say, well, boy, you know, by the time you figure that one out, you know, it's 50 years will pass. I'm not talking about that. I think we can address this with some urgency. I'm t- I think we can address this in terms of figuring out what are the responsible steps these different players can begin to focus on and work on and, uh, and tackle them. And, you know, uh, and to the extent that society says this is a priority, I think it will be to the greater good of, of our country and, frankly, other countries around the world because this is not just an American problem. Well, it's a perspective well taken. Certainly there are many contributors to the issues that we face. Many parties are going to have to sit down and talk about how to create solutions. So I agree with you on that. And it will be wonderful if we can find territory where it's win-win for the various parties. That's one thing that we're trying to do with the Red Center, and I know you are with the restaurant industry as well. So thank you so much for joining us, Michael. It was delightful to have you here. Appreciate it, Kelly. Thank you. Our guest today was Michael Kaufman, chairman of the National Restaurant Association Board of Directors and co-president of Inovo Restaurant Ventures. Uh, please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a list of other excellent podcasts that we've recorded with other visitors to the Rudd Center and also a variety of resources, including a free email newsletter that comes out monthly and a variety of, of other resources we have available on a variety of topics related to food and nutrition and obesity prevention. Thank you.